for a lot of men we are so external everything is everything is looking to external validation that we don't necessarily look at what's inside of us and you know give ourselves the kind of the gumption the kind of spirit the kind of compassion the the esteem that we need to build ourselves into into the kind of men that that would be able to handle um, and move forward in the things that we actually need to be doing. Hello and welcome to episode four of Modern Men. On this episode, I am delighted to be joined by Alex Holmes. Now, Alex is a writer, a podcaster, a therapist, and a coach, and I'm a massive fan of his work. In fact, his podcast and his book were a major factor in me taking a deeper interest in exploring my own mental health and masculinity back in 2020 um, and to the present day. So it was amazing for things to come full circle and for me to be able to sit down and have a conversation with Alex. So we discuss his career background in this episode and what made him first want to open up about mental health. We take a look at the topics of male shame, which he takes a huge interest in, and social expectations of men. Plus, we have a look at the process, the behind the scenes of his amazing book, Time to Talk, and his podcast, The Mindful Man. So, an absolutely phenomenal episode. This guy has such great insights, and I'd really recommend you follow him if you don't already. But before we get cracking, I'd just like to mention that you can follow me on Instagram at Modern Men Podcast and on Twitter at George underscore BWH to hear the latest about the podcast or to drop me a message if you'd like to get in touch. As well as that, it would mean the world if you could give the podcast a follow, a rating and a review on your go-to podcast platform because that way, together we can expand the conversation around men's mental health. So without further ado, this is episode four of Modern Men with Alex Holmes. So Alex, thank you for coming on Modern Men. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on. First and foremost, how are you today? I am good. I'm really good, George. Thank you for having me here. I feel really great at the minute. Perfect. Yeah, I'm I'm in a good spot in the sense my I feel like my mental health's been on a good path for like the mm. last couple of um last couple of weeks and months so yeah in a really happy place at the moment i'm glad you are as well um yeah as i said thank you for coming on the podcast i'm a uh, i'm a big fan of of your podcast and your book time to talk which we're gonna talk about a little bit later on um Amazing. and yeah a lot of the other work that you've done as well so i'm sure everybody listening would have heard in the introduction a little bit about alex if you don't know him already and of course, um, he doesn't need too much support. He's doing very well on the content front. But if we, um, we'll, we'll of course put his um, links into the description as well. So I, I have basically got a question that I ask all the guests first and foremost. And that question is, if we could be having this conversation anywhere in the world right now, where would it be and why? And this question is really, really really beautiful just because the timing is mm. fantastic considering how cold it is in the country where in this country in the uk where we are right now um it's like the the temperature levels have dropped very sharply and like nobody was ready for it um i think we're never ready for the weather in this country at all are we no, it's, it's either weird. too hot it's either too hot or too cold and it's or it's just just right or whatever um, but if we could be having this conversation anywhere, I would love to be having it in Jamaica, really. Um, I was there back in October um, 22, 
and um, it was just an amazing experience just to be back there. I hadn't been back for 10 years and, um, you know, I want to spend more time in it, in like my, my home country and um, just want to be able to spend time in the heat, um, just looking out at oceans or at fresh juices or just generally um, nature and listening to an environment that is just no it's just not traffic and cars and beeping and um and other elements of rushing around that we have in this country but it's just nice just to kind of slow down a bit you know yeah 100 percent. i've i've never had the pleasure myself of going to the caribbean at all it's it's yeah. on it's on my list and i i would absolutely love to go there You've i haven't to done get out there at some point it will um yeah yeah you, I think... i'm sure you'll enjoy it I'm sure I would, yeah. And the whole thing of kind of like, we were just having a chat, weren't we, beforehand about how kind of like I'm I'm very much looking forward to the summer myself. I'm much more of a hot weather person than a cold weather person. I, th I feel like nowadays, I feel like more people that I talk to seem to prefer the winter, which is a real surprise. But like everyone always obviously says that you can, you know, you can you can layer up and you can make yourself warmer. But when it's boiling hot, you can't make yourself cold enough. But I I think I'd almost rather be too hot than too cold. It's just like I hate that feeling of kind of like when you can feel like cold like down to your bones, and it's just like I'm I'm so ready now. I know this will probably be February I think when this goes out, and um, fast approaching the spring hopefully. So that's something to look forward to definitely. But no, it sounds absolutely incredible. It is a place that I'd love to visit, Jamaica. What sort of part of Jamaica did you go to? Because I'm just like I'm really intrigued to find out a little bit more about the whole kind of country. Um, I went to my um, my family is from uh, Montego Bay. Um, well, part of my family is from Montego Bay, so I was over there, and um, that's where I spent majority of my time. That's where my grandfather lives, um, and yeah, and then and that's that's why I spent yeah I spent a lot of time doing um, nothing really. <laughs> I mean, it was just nice, just really just just tapping back into to slowness. Um, mm. And, and the like, right? So that's basically where um, I spend a lot of my time when I go there. And I hadn't been there actually for so long. Um, it had been around 10 years since I'd actually gone back properly, so. Yeah, no, I think we all need a bit more sort of slowness in our lives. It's, everything's too very, very much too fast paced in the UK, just, or just in, just in a lot of kind of like European or like Western countries. Like, I, I know I had this conversation with a previous guest about how I think we have this kind of like idyllic idea of other countries that we go to or or for example like like for you for instance going to Jamaica of because we go there we don't necessarily go there and just carry on our normal lives it feels like it's so much more relaxed but mm. a lot of the time it's because it's a holiday or whatever but it seems like everybody else is also more relaxed in a lot of other places and it just feels like you come back to the UK and it's just like people everywhere on the commute just like everything's so fast paced and just like Sometimes you do just want to escape that environment and get back mm. to kind of something a bit more natural, a little bit more laid back, that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, I, I think recently I've not actually been to Jamaica as a tourist in a very long time. I usually go back um, and for the past few times I've been back, I've been back and I've just been at home and just been kind of doing regular things like going to the supermarket, um, catching up with family um doing all that stuff uh running errands and things like that so i mean it's been a long time i haven't done a tourist holiday there since 
probably around 2006. Right. So, um, yeah. So, you know, but, but it's still a level of disconnection because you can just disconnect from, even if you're doing the regular day-to-day stuff, you're doing it differently there. It's not the same kind of pressure, the same kind of environment. Yeah, that makes sense. I guess it's still like a kind of level of, of escape sort of thing. So any level of that, I think we, we need it. It gets to a certain point where things just get too much and you're just like, yeah, just need to get away. Just need to get away for a little bit. Even if you're doing the same thing, a change of environment, a change of scenery, just all that kind of thing, really benefit from that. Um, I think we, we move on to the first kind of like question of the of the episode. Um, what, what was it? I'm interested to know kind of like what first got you wanting to be vocal about mental health how did it kind of become something that you associated with and something that you wanted to talk about on firstly I guess on just kind of like a personal level and then on a more professional level obviously with the work that you've done more publicly um yeah I mean I go into this quite a bit in my book but I'm going to probably just give you an abbreviated version um in some Mm. senses um but yeah i essentially i had a really tough time um when i was at work um and i was working as a journalist i was in a really high pressured high um high performing um really demanding um job a very demanding paper um and i always start there because it's it was the it was the root of a lot of my my stresses right um it's where a lot of my stresses ended up um at work we spend um a lot of time at work as adults um and in those spaces and if those spaces aren't conducive to your health and well-being then it just causes um it causes you know potential issues in the long term because all you've got is um all you've got is negative associations for when you're leaving the house and you feel resentment for when you go um to work so i spent a lot of time um really stressing out about whether i was doing the right job whether i was doing good in that in that role um and it was for various reasons it was it was on a racial level i mean i was in a in a profession that literally under one percent of the of journalists in the uk are black um so the newsroom was very white and it wasn't really very inclusive of me um the culture was very different to you know the the future what the culture was exclusionary um and even if they weren't a lot of people they weren't really um um, conscious of it it's this whole question about unconscious bias and a lot of this different stuff um they weren't necessarily conscious of it so i was alienated quite early on in my experience working in these papers um you know and when you're in these kind of positions and you don't come in in the same avenues as a lot of other people you know through the through the um elite um through the elite secondary schools through to the elite universities through to the elite journalism schools um, and you end up in these places and you just came in and I came in through a diversity scheme that allowed me to work um, in this in this profession Um, when you're having to do that you consistently second guess and um, second guess your talents your skills your nature in these places and um, a lot of people second guess you for being there Um, I, I couldn't tell you how many times people you know would roll there were kind of like like sigh a sigh of relief when they realized I was from a um a 
diversity scheme or all of that kind of stuff. So that kind of stuff does play on your mental health. It plays on your self-esteem. It plays on your beliefs. Um, it makes you feel as if you're not worthy of being in a space like that. Um, so that was one thing. And then the second thing was more like, um, you know, as a man, can you express those feelings of uncertainty in, in these in these kind of environments? Can you express those feelings of inadequacy or feelings of um, anxiety and um, and then subsequent depression? You know, like to find out, for example, that I was being paid lower than my white colleagues um, and, you know, and to find out that I was having my work kind of second guessed or tampered with. Um, just because they didn't trust me, they didn't trust the, um, my work, um, and it had to be double checked and all this different stuff. Um, it kind of it, it takes a knock at you. It takes a knock at you, and that was just one area of my life that was work. And then I had stresses at in my like personal life with family and friends, um, and it was just one of those things. It was just one of those environments where it was like, do I have to? where do I find my peace like if I don't find my peace at home and I don't find my peace in my friendships I don't find my peace at work um I'm basically being pulled thin um and being stretched um to um to 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 fit different molds for different people and that was the bit that really kind of pulled me apart and then that led me to having three breakdowns at work um and really struggling to um to 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 focus, to function. Um, my body was shutting down on me. It was kind of act working against me. All the stress was causing me to um, have joint and autoimmune problems. Um, I wasn't sleeping properly. I was drinking a lot. Um, I was trying to block out and push away a lot of pain that I was going through just so that I could make it through to the next thing. And, um, and, I, I just, and then once I had my last breakdown and I started going to therapy, I wanted to start really talking and thinking to myself actually what is it about us as millennials number one that is causing us to experience this level of burnout but then also like, as men what does this look like for us because I'm starting to read statistics around um you know more men are dying by suicide at, you know on an every like on a, on a scale um and on a scale, it's in comparison to women. Um, and that's largely because men don't talk about a lot of things. Um, and then I was just kind of reflecting back on the experiences that I had in work. And, you know, you know, the culture that was there did not was not conditioned for me to speak about what I was going through and stuff. So all of that to be all of that being said, I had the breakdowns and I started to open up um, and I started to start a podcast and I had these conversations with other people about burnout, about work, about well-being. Um, I was working on a different paper by then um, and I was working on the lifestyle pages um, and I began to interview men about their well-being um, and I just kind of fell into it. Um, and then in 2019, I left, I left journalism um, and I started writing the book and the rest, as we say, is history. I mean, I've been... I trained as a coach, and then I'm, tra I, you know, became a hypnotherapist, and then I'm I'm now training to be a full-on psychotherapist, um, and that's why we're here. And I'm really intrigued around men's mental health and the kind of the conversations um, about the intersections of gender and um, mental health and what that looks like. 
Yeah, that's an amazing story. It's so interesting to hear like how people, how different people kind of get into this position where they 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 make mental health a focus of theirs in a positive way and kind of want to expand the conversation around it. And it's really interesting you talk about the kind of journal, journalism background and everything, not not to the same extent, but I, I sort of come from a journalism background as well in terms of um, my degrees in sports journalism. And funnily enough, like I had, well, it's not funny at all, actually, but, <laughs> but, um, but I had, I suffered for a bit of a breakdown as well due to the kind of pressure of a journalism job. And because it was all completely new to me, it was it was working from home as well, actually. Mm. But it was still, I think the fact that I was feeling that amount of stress in my own home almost made it worse in, yeah. in a way, because then when I wasn't working, I couldn't escape from it. And um, so I really struggled under that pressure. Obviously, as you as you mentioned, you had a lot of kind of additional pressures and additional factors that contributed to you feeling and feeling those emotions that you did and kind of having those experiences within the world of journalism but but yeah it's it's so interesting that it kind of pushed you on to want to pursue this as a career so had you had you been vocal of vocal about mental health prior to to these experiences within working as a journalist or or because a lot of the people that I've spoken to kind of in their their sort of childhoods or their teenage years they kind of weren't even necessarily aware of mental health as a thing were you were you talking about it already at this point or was it something that you kind of became much more aware of in this environment um i think yeah that's a very interesting question george because you know what like growing up we i don't know how old you are how old are you uh, 25, 26. 25, 26. Oh, you're a baby. <laughs> uh, I hate when people used to say that to me when I was 25. Oh, wow. um, I'm, I'm 31. So um, when I was at school, we never had those conversations. There were no conversations no. around mental health. I do not remember any iteration of that. But of course, the mental health conversation has been going around for a long time. Like, it has been happening for a long time. And I watched... Um, um, recently in the winter, I watched About a Boy. Um, oh yeah, uh, you know Hugh Grant and um, yes, a, think... another another famous um, actor. He was a child at the time, and then now he's like quite a big um, British actor. But um, I watched that, and then there was there were big conversations around mental health in that in that in that film because it was centered oh, around yeah. a suicidal mother. Um, and, a, and a boy um, and his search for a male role model. And I was thinking to myself, this film is like what made in the early 2000s, the late 90s. Mm. And, um, and, and I was what, in the early 2000s, I was around 11, 10, 11. No, between, I was between eight and 11 around the early 2000s, right? Mm, and yeah. these conversations were still being had. They were being had, but they weren't being had to the extent that we had them. So, um, when, like, I would say in my mid-twenties, I was kind of very much exploring what it meant to be a man, like, without actually knowing that's what I was doing. I was always, I was, I was reading conversation, I was reading up on feminism, I was reading up on gender, um, I was reading up on, um, on fatherhood, on brotherhood, on male friendships. I was reading up on black masculinity. I was reading up on European masculinity, African masculinity. Um, and I was going to conversations with people around 
that sort of stuff. I mean, but the big thing at the time of like when I was in my twenties was race. It was it was a race thing. Um, gender began began to make a huge um, resurgence towards the, my mid to late twenties. Um, but it was always there. Like it was always um, that stuff. And when I say gender, I mean when we start talking about men in those areas. For me, that really started to come to the forum in the late twenties. I think women were having these conversations around feminism like for a long time. Um, but I always wanted, I was always keen to find out what my position was as a man in this in this in this space. And um, and I just I sat there. I just learned from a lot of different women um, and a lot of different um, men just about kind of what their expectations and what their feelings were about being a man. And I was watching a lot of films and things like that. And um, so yeah, so it was very much centered around men. But then I started to kind of question if we're okay. <laughs> like, yeah, I started to sit there and think, are we actually all right though? Like, like, are we good? Yeah, I got what you like, mean. You know, like I'm just thinking, okay, so the, all of this, all of this stuff that we go through all this stuff that we hear and see and think about and expect of ourselves and all of these pressures and all of this stuff. But then I'm seeing all of these films where men are taking a gun and shooting themselves, um, for example, or, you know, or um, in books where there's a lot of male suicides in books and a lot of authors um, in time have died by alcoholism and all of this different stuff. And I've just been like, is this what we are being fed and accept as true or is there a real and is there just a real real problem here that we can begin to challenge and tackle so i started to go down the mental health route and i started to think about that but it wasn't until i really had my breakdowns at around 26 that i started to really look into that because i was thinking to myself i'm just one casualty who's been able to who's been able to kind of come back from this in a moderately healthy way. Like a lot of people have not been able to do that. A lot of men have, you know, seen that their lives or feel that their lives are more valuable with them dead than alive. Um, they kind of absorb themselves in food to, f to fill up emotional gaps and, um, addictions and sex addictions drug addictions alcohol addictions porn addiction all these different things just to kind of fill a gap but it's just been palmed off as this kind of like oh yeah men do this men are gross men are blah 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 and i was just like this is just not you know i'll go to the next day yeah the way men do certain things can be quite gross but i'm looking at it and just thinking yeah. i'm just looking but i look at it and think to myself okay yeah so it's gross but why is it gross like what is it how did we get here like no boy wakes up and just thinks i'm just going to just do this for the rest of my life do they um you know so i began to dig and i think that's the journalism in me the journalist in me just began to say hmm i have a question why can't it be answered with with why can't it be answered as quickly as i want it to be so um, I began to answer the question myself and I began to look. Um, and on that journey, I, you know, began to qualify myself, began to learn, um, began to understand who I was and tap in. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, no, that's really interesting because one of the quest one of the other kind of like pointers that I have written down is about why you kind of decided to specifically 
look in detail at men and at male mental health and masculinity and i guess you've kind of um kind of kind of really spoken about that already which is like it's an interesting one because i've obviously done done the same and i'm i'm similar to you in terms of coming into the process with no qualifications all i've kind of got is experience basically and um i'm just trying to kind of open the conversation a little bit more but it's one of those things where i think you're right in terms of there are certain things that men do that are just kind of considered the norm that that are kind of frowned upon or they're taboo or i'm not saying all men do these things like as you said kind of like porn addiction or heavy drinking or or the these sorts of things but it it is it is to fill a gap and it's it's almost to fill a gap because i guess I, I, for me, from from my perspective, I feel like a lot of people will do these things in order to kind of fill the gap because they can't, they can't, they don't feel like they can kind of put their emotions across through words. Mm. They kind of almost like hide them and push them away through these kind of short term fixes of of addiction and things like that, or something that will just kind of like boost their mood in a in a temporary and kind of artificial way. And you know, I was having this conversation in the last episode of this podcast about how kind of you know how 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 men obviously are emotional beings but they kind of society has told us not to be and mm. i almost feel like kind of masculinity and the way that men should prevent themselves like i, th- I think men have evolved but kind of the definition that's put upon us by society hasn't evolved that's almost the way that i kind of look at it in terms of like a lot of men are being much more open but it's almost like the kind of vast majority of people and society and culture has stopped us from progressing as much as we could have done and that's not i'm not saying that there's no room because there's obviously so much room in the future but um yeah it's a really interesting one because i i I can't think of a specific reason why i've decided to talk specifically about men but see with this podcast a lot of the kind of stuff that i'm going to talk about and that the guests will talk about will be applicable to people of any gender or people of any identity or um but but specifically talking about men like i always kind of have at least an element on this show of masculinity or 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 male mental health because i think it is it's a totally different kettle of fish in many ways to Mm. to general mental health because you have all these sort of social stigmas attached to it you have all these kind of pressures and these kind of um what's the word that i'm kind of looking for like expectations i guess through society Mm -hmm. that kind of add an extra extra level to it and and one thing that i'm i was mentioning to to you before i i heard you on a different podcast talking a lot about shame mm-hmm. uh, and you've said to me that that's kind of something that you're focusing on quite a lot at the moment and obviously mm-hmm. shame shame is a big thing for men because i think because there are so many social expectations expectations in terms of the way that we present ourselves in terms of the way that we dress or expectations in terms of relationships, expectations mm. in, in workplaces, in virtually every aspect of life. And a failure to live up to those expectations causes that shame. And it's a horrible thing. It's a horrible feeling to feel like you're kind of not enough. And I think a lot of men do feel like that. I've definitely, luckily, got got to, to a place at the moment where I, I feel like I am comfortable in myself, comfortable with the person that I am. But I've definitely been in a place before over the past kind of five years, maybe longer, where I've thought, you know, do I actually live up to what people want of me? Do I do I live up to what people expect of me or or do I live up to people's vision of what I should be as a man and as a 
as as a male figure but i wanted to i i guess what's your sort of experience of of shame have you have you felt that on kind of like a male level in terms of feeling like you're not necessarily what society wants you to be in the role of a man absolutely absolutely um yeah my whole kind of expectate like the the feelings of so like okay so typical things was like when looking at shame i think it, it does shame upholds um the patriarchy and it uh, it, con- it i feel that shame co- keeps men in check um and i do think it's important like in, in some levels shame is necessary because it allows you to it, if, if used well or if used from a different perspective it is necessary for us to think oh like why would i do that that's not something that i would do sort of thing you know like it gives you a bit more mm. of an awareness of who you are and whatnot but when but as men a lot of us are so used to shame as a as negative reinforcement um as as coercion um as coercion into behavior um and the like so the biggest one of the biggest examples i would say of shame would be the crying situation the the mm. idea that men don't cry boys don't cry this is not what boys do but you know man up toughen up whatnot um the shame being that it implies that you are not manly enough to be able you didn't you're not you're not being a man you're not you're not you're not playing your man card very well if you if you're crying um for a, for a certain um over a certain situation or a certain um or a certain experience, right? Um, and for me, that's something that I carried quite, quite, quite strongly. So when I, you know, in my example of, you know, when I was working and I was going through all that emotional baggage, all that emotional stuff, um, lack of lack of friendship, um, lack of relationship, romantic relationship, um, living back at home after after being away for five years. Um, not earning as much as my colleagues, not earning as much as my friends, being back in London again, um, you know, being able to afford certain things, a lot of that, that was a lot of shame building up inside of me. And I felt to myself, oh, wait, but I'm a man. I need to be able to, I need, I deserve to have those things. These are things I deserve to have. I must have them. And when you start to kind of tap into that kind of thinking, you start to shift your the way that you what you believe about yourself because you can't attain those things your beliefs then are just below that about who you are but oh but i can't reach that thing because i don't have the x y and z to it but i should be able to reach that stuff because i'm a man i should be able to do all those things and we start to put ourselves in really difficult situations when we when our expectations don't match the reality of of what it is um and for a lot of men, we are so external. Everything is everything is looking to external validation that we don't necessarily look at what's inside of us, and you know, give ourselves the kind of the gumption, the kind of spirit, the kind of compassion, the the esteem that we need to build ourselves into into the kind of men that that would be able to handle um, and move forward in the things that we actually need to be doing right like whether that be benefiting our communication skills or benefiting who we are um our relation our relationship skills um and just generally just being a better better person um so a lot of this shame stuff it like so if we come back to the crying situation like a lot of men don't feel like they can cry um because and even when they do want to cry and even if they are in a safe 
environment where they are where they where they've been told that they're allowed to or all this different stuff they don't know whether they feel they can because it will diminish or they feel that it might diminish how they're perceived as a man um and that is one of the big that's what that's a crucial thing when it comes to um comes to shame and masculinity but we can talk on so many different things we can talk on the expression of emotion we can talk on failure um you know we could, and that just means either like personal failures to so not reaching the expectations you have but also you know um marriages failing jobs failing failing as a father um all of those different things and they all bring with them a level of shame that then causes a man to spiral backwards um, which then in leads in leans into those coping mechanisms that are not good for him, right? Um, so that's where, and I think shame is so important to start with, very much so when it comes to men, because we can't keep um, we can't keep using shame to because and, and I found that a lot of the principles or the conversations around masculinity start with the toxic kind of masculinity, right? You know, we need to yeah. get rid of toxic masculinity. We need to get rid of that. You know, you're toxic, you're toxic, you're toxic. Well, we're shaming, we're shaming men about being men. And therefore, how can we then find a way around that to go to the next thing? Because now, I mean, I've been through situations where um, I've been shamed for being a, for being a man. Um, and I felt, and then I felt a lot of deep shame for being a man. And I've been like, oh my God, like, am I, am I a good man? Am I somebody who can be a good man am i inherently bad am i inherently evil like i know there's evil i know there's i know there's really evil people out there in the world who have done really horrible things but am i one am i one of those people am i indoctrined into that stuff you know so you start to really attack your sense of self and it's not useful it's not a helpful way to do that so a lot of the things like when i go into having these conversations with young boys particularly but also just men in general um, it's about working with them to be able to say, look, like, let's reframe the narrative for yourself, um, you know, without you being harmful to others, but most of all, without you being harmful to yourself. Yeah, 100%. I think it's that whole whole kind of thing. As you said, it's such a multifaceted sort of thing, isn't it? Shame in terms of, I think I've I've felt that I've felt multiple kind of experiences in terms of feeling like a failure because I don't feel like I'm living up to society's definition of what a man should be. Also, the whole crying situation. Yeah, I've 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 always been somebody who, like, on on a general day to day basis, I'm not a crier. But if I'm going through a really poor patch of mental health, I cry a lot. Like, if I've had a breakdown, I was I would like just like pace around the house crying like uncontrollably. And that's happened to me like maybe three or four separate times. And that that makes you feel that's a whole different thing because that that kind of makes you feel shame in itself, whether it's from a, a male point of view or not. Like I I when I've been in a situation of a breakdown, I felt shame in terms of being like, you know, why can't I just operate like a normal person? And mm -hmm. I've had that kind of feeling. I'm sure you you've probably felt similar things as you alluded to. Obviously, you've had sort of breakdowns and things like that before and, and you just kind of feel like why can't I just be and like everyone else why can't I just cope with things like everybody else can and I, I'm not sure whether that specifically is from a male perspective or just from a perspective of you know people in general should be able to 
do these various things in life, like hold down a job, you know, have a family, do this kind of thing. But in terms of, yeah, the whole sort of failure situation, I, I completely agree with. There's been specific times in my life where I feel like I've not lived up to what a partner expects of me as a man, even if even if they're not somebody who, even even if they support whoever, what sort of person I am, I still feel it's so kind of ingrained by society that I still feel like, yeah, but you're saying that, but you actually want me to be more of a man than I am. And I've, I've felt that feeling multiple times. And I even still do now sometimes feel like I don't live up to my partner's expectations of me as a man but that's not because of her that's just because of my insecurities which have been instilled in me by society and it's just about kind of becoming even more comfortable with who I am as a man and as a, a and comfortable in my version of masculinity because we all have our own version of it our own kind of different identities and different kind of traits and different interests and different different like men are so complex you can't just say that there's these like handful of default masculine traits that all men should have society is way beyond that um but yeah i completely agree with you i think like it being being a man does come with a lot of shame in terms of society and and, and the expectations that are that are put upon us so how 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 would you say is the best kind of way to kind of break through that shame and kind of get to a place of I know we're all on a all on a journey and there's no kind of perfect way of doing it for everybody but how, what have you kind of worked on in terms of getting through that shame and kind of becoming more comfortable with with who you are as a man and kind of would, do you have any sort of advice that you would give people on that because I know I've been on my own sort of personal journey in terms of just trying to become much more comfortable with who I am as a person. And because I've been through patches where I haven't really liked elements of who I am as a person. Mm. And it's, it's very hard to get to a place where you fully love every element of your, your, your being like completely. But I, I'm in a place now where I'd say I'm very comfortable and in tune with who I am as a person. Have you, have you managed to get to a place where you're kind of feeling a lot less shame and how, how kind of have you been able to, do that or what advice would you give mm. um i think shame would always be there for me it's all about trying to figure out how to how to navigate and manage it over time um it's not something that you can just eradicate i don't think um I'm, I, well at least in my current um iteration of life <laughs> um i'm current i'm because i'm you know i mean i'm working as a therapeutic coach and um as a, and a therapist and um, I'm, you know, I see clients and I'm looking at them and I'm learning more and more about the, you know, about how shame creeps up. Um, if you, if we don't have the tools that allow us to kind of mitigate that, you know, um, like for me, I, you know, shame does kind of creep up sometimes. There are days where I'm just like, you know what, I should be making more money. I should be, um, I should be better at this. I should be, I should be, I should be. And I have to sit down and talk to myself compassionately and say, look, you're doing the absolute best you can. Um, and that's not me being a cop out. If I can do better, I will do better. Um, but it's about being able to talk to yourself in a way that allows you, it's about re like restructuring that critical voice inside you. Yeah. That have been, you know, and I'm, when, you, when we start talking to ourselves as if we are our best friends in the whole entire world, 
that's the best way for us to start kind of at least at the beginnings of how we can um, get through the the real difficult parts of shame you know um, and for and, and you know shame creeps up on people in so many different ways it's not just going to be as easy as sitting down and just starting to talk kindly to yourself there's so much that needs to work through and that's where I kind of come in to kind of you know because I've got a whole program that helps people kind of work through that but it's um it's actually really important um, as, a, as a core principle to really work on the way that we talk to ourselves. And um, so, yes, yeah, so I would say if there's any form of advice, I would say start there. Start with really beginning to listen in, listen to the critical voice. And that is in the book um, about how to really dealing with the self-critic. Um, because as the book's tagline is how men think about love, belonging and connection, um, you know, I, you know, it does. It starts with love, um, and then you find when with that, it starts with love. And I mean, when I say that's love. I mean, love of yourself. Like really, you can look in the mirror each day. Do you like who you see? Do you love who you see? You know, like when you probably put on a bit of weight, or you, um, or you mess up on something. Are you? How are you treating yourself? Like you know, like what is it that you're doing? Are you encouraging yourself to do better or are you shaming yourself into doing better? Yeah? Um, so it starts with love. And then with that, we move into belonging. Okay, I belong here. I'm at home with myself. I'm here. This is who I am. This is where I'm at. Um, and then after that, you can kind of say, look, this is connection. I'm going to start talking to people. I'm going to start bringing people into my orbit because people gravitate to people who know themselves. Right. And if you don't and if and, you know, and or you gravitate to people who are of like mind and if you know yourself and you're good with yourself and you're happy with yourself, you're going to attract people like that. It's just that simple. And um, a lot of men are struggling with loneliness right now because we are really, really down in the dumps with how we are talking to ourselves, how we feel about ourselves and our shame is consuming us, unfortunately, in the main you know um and we're not doing anything about it so that's where i sit with it i'd say it started i think it does start with how we talk to ourselves it really does start with self-compassion um and thus be really becoming friends to who we are yeah i definitely resonate with a lot of that i think that was one issue that i didn't have i didn't kind of spend that sort of intimate time with myself and trying to sort of like get to know myself for a long time i didn't kind of realize that that was a thing and I think, you know, obviously tools tools like meditation are very, very helpful for that kind of thing. And I'd, you know, a few years ago, I'd kind of thought about the idea of meditation and put it off and gone, oh, I can't find like the time to do it, that sort of thing. But then during the first lockdown, really kind of got into meditation and found out more about myself. And I was doing guided meditations. And I remember one guided meditation that asked me to look in a mirror and say, I love you to myself. And at the time, because I was very new to it, I was like, no, I'm not doing that. Like, that's weird. I'm not, no way that I'm looking in the mirror and saying I love you to myself. But, it, you know, it doesn't have to be that. But kind of just having having that time to kind of like to, to know that it's OK to love yourself. It's not self-centered or selfish. And I think that 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 feeling of love for yourself is a very positive thing. It's not something to be kind of like worried about in terms of like 
obviously you think when you think of love you think of loving other people rather than yourself mm. but if you don't love yourself or have respect for yourself or ha have a, at least a, a solid understanding of yourself then that kind of inhibits every other part of your life in terms of your decision making with relationships with careers with with all kinds of different things and i think yeah that that that's something that i completely resonate with so it's it's an interesting one and i think i've i feel like i've gone on a journey now i feel like because obviously a lot of us over sort of christmas and the winter and everything like do put on a tiny bit of weight but rather than kind of shaming myself i feel like at the moment what i've done is i've used it as a kind of way to encourage myself to get back into the gym you know i missed missed the gym for about a month or so because i was ill towards the back end of last year and then it's like you feel set back and it's difficult but yeah i think you using using things like that to push you in a positive way rather than shaming you into or like guilting you into doing things it's mm. such a powerful thing and there's yeah it's, it's such a good thing to do and i think there's there's not too much more that i wanted to touch on really before we kind of move into the last couple of questions but i think mm. i know you were talking about your book there so i can um sort of move this question up here at the moment obviously you have your book time to talk you also have your podcast the mindful man as well which as you as you said was pre previously called time to talk as well um what what was it that kind of what what were the sort of early days of both of those two things in terms of the podcast and the book? Because I think, hmm. I think the first time that I kind of became aware of you was probably nearly nearly three years ago now. To be fair, through the through the podcast, actually, I think it was during that first lockdown in twenty twenty, and then um, received your book as well and uh, and read that and was fully like resonated and understood a lot of it and felt one of those books that you read and kind of like find yourself nodding your head constantly like oh yeah that didn't hadn't thought of that but that really really like makes sense to me as a person but what was the sort of process and the story behind you starting the book and the podcast yeah so um the podcast started as um it was actually called something else it was called what matters um, because I wanted to help people find what matters. I wanted to find what mattered, and um, because if work wasn't what mattered, then what did, right? Um, and I was doing that for a while. I did that for around, I don't know, 40 episodes or something. And then I wrote the book, and then it was a, and then it was a kind of a marketing idea <laughs> with regards to mm. my uh, <laughs> publishers and stuff. And it's this whole list, you know, you know, name the pub, name the book the same name as the podcast, blah blah blah. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, and it just so happened that it just kind of moved into time to talk. Um, and I, I wasn't in love with the name, but it did what I had to do because I had loads of amazing conversations with brilliant people from actors to activists to leaders in their field to um, authors and all of that stuff. And I was just really, really so proud of the podcast for how much it had done and how far we'd gotten. We had so many amazing roundtable discussions um, for like International Men's Day and Suicide of, um, Prevention Day and Mental Health Awareness Week and all of this different stuff. Um, and there were loads of conversations on there um, that were that were beneficial to a lot of people. Did a few live shows, and then, you know, as as we reach twenty twenty three, and I, and I, I look at the years between twenty twenty, so writing the book, and the book publishing twenty twenty one, and last year twenty two, 
those three years were really like foundational years for me. Like they were years where I was like, okay, cool. I want to, hmm, how can I put this? I want to do this. I want to work with men. I, I mean, in 2020, I did men's groups. I did all these different things. I want to work with men. I want to talk about men's issues, but I need to figure out how I'm going to talk about this. So I was just trying so many different things. I was trying so many different ways to do it. Um, and then I think it was just when I came back from Jamaica and I sat down and I looked at around at everything that was going on. I figured I looked at my life. I looked at the way that I feel about myself. I looked at the way my friends are experiencing life. I looked at just men in general. And um, I just thought, you know what? I think it's time for a change. I think it's time for a movement into the new, into the next thing. And um, yeah, and now we have the Mindful Man podcast. And I think um, it's, you know, it, it, it's here. I want it to be here to stay. Um, I don't want to change it again. But um, I think that it's time for us to really look at masculinity and look at ourselves in a way that is compassionate, um, is wholehearted, is courageous. Um, you know, there will always be different perspectives and different views on masculinity and we need to and we need to recognize and understand that because there's different views and different ideas on femininity and feminism for example right and there's different views and all these different ideologies that are out there and i think that i'm just like you know what i just take the compassionate view i take the compassionate view i take this position because i just don't think we get anywhere when we start when we are using shame to coerce people i don't think we i don't think we're getting anywhere when we do when we do all of that you know so yeah it's such a great thing kind of like because i think podcast is such a powerful way to kind of put a message across in terms of people i, I love how people can kind of access you absolutely anywhere anytime you can just choose choose to, to to tune in and like I, I found I just find it to be personally I'm someone who listens to a lot of podcasts and obviously as I said that's how I was kind of introduced to to your work mm-hmm. and I think it's yeah it's such a powerful medium and the book as well I would 100% recommend to anybody listening um, if you can get your hands on on time to talk it was one thing obviously like right at the start you alluded to your kind of like Jamaican heritage Caribbean heritage and I was wondering how how you feel that has played into your experience with mental health and masculinity and because i've heard i've heard people i've heard other people kind of within the space who are from a caribbean background um you know ex- t- explaining kind of like that it is obviously everybody's experience will be different and in terms of your own family will be completely different as well mm. but because of because of that kind of element of their identity they've had a slightly different experience i was wondering whether firstly you feel like your experience has been different to say mine or different to to to, to other people's necessarily because of that specific identity a part of your identity mm. and and kind of like i guess why that is i wonder if you've had that kind of extra experience yeah um so as a West Indian man, um, we have a very specific history, um, a very specific experience um, with the Windrush and um, slavery and and the like. Um, I think it's definitely played into 
my mental, my understanding of my mental health. But I think that it it operates on several levels. I think one level is being black in the UK is a very specific experience, regardless mm-hmm. of whether you are African or from the West Indies or from Latin America or from various parts of the world. Being an ethnic minority in this country is a is is a battlefield for sure um so you have to be you know you're you're consistently taking mental blows a lot of the time um i started my story working in the in the daily mail with with um a lot of with uh you know unconscious bias just there straight up like there was no you know that's the paper i worked on and it was like there was no it, it was it was just a challenge all the time like to kind of get my view across um because they just did not see it it was just not something that they could comprehend um and that was just in the workplace but then it was outside it was you know it was on a night out it was on it was on it's on the bus it's on the train it's all these different things so you're just not at peace so there's just things that you have to be wary of and then being a man on top of that is to be subject to, you know, most violence that men experience are from other men. But if you're an ethnic minority, you're more likely going to experience that violence a bit more, you know, frequently. Um, whether that be verbal violence or physical violence, you and you know that that violence can come from authorities. That violence can come from just people who just don't see you as fully human. You know. Um, so yeah it does it does have a huge it does have a huge impact and then the second level is that the the immigrant trauma of that's just carried with you as you know culturally um you know my my family knows a lot of hardship right like we come from we had to leave the island and come here and they had to work really hard they had to they couldn't sit down and think about their mental well-being or their physical well-being they couldn't do that that was not something that they had time to do they had to be up out ready to work back home because they had things that they had to sort out and it's not until they get older that they realize that they've missed out on so many different things but it's not necessarily their fault you know i mean we, we do have agency we do have agency but when you're just not considered to be you know like when time is not your friend when certain things are just not an option, then yeah, it's it, it's um it's challenging. So yeah, I would say that you know being of my background has had a huge impact on it. If we start adding the Christian upbringing, that has an impact on it. If we start bringing you know going to school in an inner city such as London, that does have an upbring that does have a um, an impact on it. You know, like there's so many different things to do with our environments and where we come from um, that really impact the way that we view ourselves and how we experience life so for sure yeah it's really interesting to kind of hear hear your experience about that i only really asked because i heard kind of like i've heard other people talking about about that as a specific thing in terms of like how their experience they feel like their personal experience was different because of that part of themselves and it's interesting to just hear like it's obviously not going to be one story for absolutely everybody so it's interesting to kind of hear your take on that and i think I'd say thank you as well for kind of like opening my eyes to it because I think so many people would not 
even think of the, the you having those kind of experiences within the workplace and that kind of thing because it's it's one of those things it's so it's it's that kind of subconscious as you said like uh, unconscious kind of like entrenched bias that, uh, that a lot of people will have just instilled in them and society has just like so deeply kind of like rooted in it and there's still so much work to do on that mm. front and you know obviously it's not something that i can 100 percent understand in terms of being kind of like part of the majority i guess within 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 um the uk mm. but it's yeah it's it's an it, it's not something that is solved 100%. It's a massively ongoing process. But I think the link between kind of whether it's any form of bias, whether it's kind of like a, a racial bias or whatever, and mental health is a really kind of interesting topic to to, to explore. So, yeah, that's that's fascinating. So thanks for the insight on that. That's really, uh, really kind of interesting to find out a little bit more. Um, I guess we can kind of move into the final couple of questions that I ask all of all of the guests who have been on the show so the the first one is what's one sort of resource that you would recommend to people listening so it could be ideally something that's helped with your mental health whether it be a podcast a book a piece of music um anything like that really is there a specific kind of resource or or tool that kind of stands out to you as something that really helps Mm. so without it being my book and my podcast, <laughs> um, which goes without saying. Yeah, um, of course. <laughs> I um, a resource that I really like. Well, well, it depends on what we're looking for, right? Yeah. Um, if we're looking for real impactful conversations around masculinity and what that feels like today, I would say the We Are Man Enough podcast is amazing. Um, it's Justin Baldoni and his two co-hosts who are amazing and I've completely forgotten their names, um, but they're amazing and they have really great conversations um, about masculinity and mental health. Um, and it's just completely, it's from, a, it's from a straight non-clinical perspective. So, um, but they are pretty high profile in their own, um, in their own right. So take with that, take that what you, what you will. Um, so I would say them. Um, I would say for a lot of men, I do think, I think it's important for us to tap into our creativity. So I would say The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron is a book that I would suggest men get to do. And it's not even about being, it's not even about like creating a work of art. It's just about getting creative. Um, It's about learning how to sit with yourself for a while and really kind of dig into who you are you have to do these morning pages which is essentially you wake up and you get four sides of a4 paper and you write out all the things that are on your mind and then when you're done you rip it up and throw it away and literally you enter you 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 empty your mind of all the things that you went that you that you carried with you at night and then and then once you're done with that then you can just crack on with the day um it's a beautiful exercise. It's a very hard exercise, but it's a beautiful one. Um, and um, but and you handwrite it. You don't type. You handwrite. Um, so yeah. So there's that. And then um, yeah, I'd say those two. But without you know, without kind of suggesting things like. 
a calm app so you can do meditation and yeah. headspace so you can do x y and z you know what i mean there's i mean those are not everybody not everybody likes to do that not everybody likes to do those things so yeah i'd say if you want to sit down if you want to listen to you know these are really low barriers to barrier entry things right like the we are man on a podcast is on youtube just click it listen if you like it you like it if you don't you don't but there are million there are not millions there are loads of conversations on there which i think would be definitely really help a lot of men um a lot of men uh kind of navigate their own condition and uh, and the artist way i'd say just to tap into your creativity yeah no both brilliant i think um that sounds really interesting it's it's strange how it's it's not kind of something that i instantly thought would be a a running theme but creativity is has basically in in some form or another has been a, a running theme in like pretty much every episode that, that I've recorded so far. And it's really interesting that you kind of touched on that as well. So we'll definitely leave those two resources down in the description as well so that everybody listening can make the most of those and then maybe create some sort of library of all these resources somewhere on the internet so that everyone mm. can kind of access them all in one go. I'll figure that out in time, definitely. Yeah, that'd um, be good. Yeah. And uh, the final question is, what is one tip that you would give to modern men? Try. Yeah. Try. Like, you know, you've heard the, you might have heard the phrase, God loves a trier. But um, <laughs> if you don't, like my granddad says something to me, very poignant to me, right? When we were out there. And he just said, I think we were talking, I don't even know what we were talking about because... You know, I can chat for however long um, and about many different things at a time. But I think there's mm. something he said that really stuck with me. And he says, if you don't, like, the best thing that you can do in life is try. And if you don't try, you will never know, like, what it means to fail and you will just stay still. He's like, if you try, at least you can, at least you can fail at something. But as you can say, you tried to do something. And if you give it your best shot. So I always say, you know, try, give it your best shot. Try your hardest at everything you do. If you want to change for the better, try your hardest. And when I say try your hardest, I don't mean be performative and expect all of these different kind of people to fawn after you because you're holding a book on feminism. I mean, literally try, like you go into the book, you read, try to understand what is going on have conversate have hard conversations with people you know try try like that's the best that you can best you can do try and embody what it is the kind of person that you want to be um you know and the best thing that you know that you can be i would say trying trying is important 100 percent. yeah no completely i i totally agree with that and i think it sounds like such as it's it's such kind of like in a good way a, a simple answer because a lot of stuff does just boil down to that and i think i've i've become one of those people where i i i have that kind of attitude where you know even if i'm slightly scared of failing at something i i i want to i'm more inclined to give it a go than i used to be and i think the reason is because like there's no shame in failing if you have tried your hardest at something like at all whether it's you know 
a, a relationship, whether it's something in your personal life, as simple as, like you said, reading a book. Like mm. for me, my I have a terrible attention span. That can be quite a challenge to actually to read a book from cover to cover. So that for me, that trying to do that is an achievement in itself. And it's it's like that with so many different things, whether it be diet and exercise or just any aspect of your life. If you if you're trying as hard as you can, then you have absolutely zero reason to feel guilt or to feel shame about anything that you do and i think yeah that's such a that's such a kind of powerful way to end the episode i think so i just want to say thank you very much alex for coming on the show it's been an absolute pleasure because i've been listening to your to your podcast for a long time consuming your content for a long time on the socials and everything as well and obviously a huge fan of of your book as well so thank you for sparing a kind of hour or so to come and have a conversation with me it's been it's been brilliant no, I appreciate it. Um, and any way that I can help you, if it, yeah, if you just want to chat, just you know, message me, connect with me, we can sort something out. And I'm here. I'm here, man. Oh, perfect. That sounds amazing. It's one of those things where I think we could. There are so many different things we could talk about. We could probably sit here and record mm. back-to-back episodes for the whole night. To be honest, <laughs> at this point, yeah, yeah. and um, I think it's it's one of those conversations. If you're somebody who's open to talk about mental health and things like that, and and these sorts of topics, if you surround yourself with those people, you can just talk forever because it's an ongoing conversation that literally never ends. So many just like opinions and ideas and thoughts and experiences and advice. It's like, and it's such an incredible an incredible kind of space to get involved in so yeah thanks once again and i just wanted to wanted to say quickly as well is there anything that you kind of want to to just mention before we end the show anything that you're doing at the moment my the mindful man podcast is out it's there it's available for public consumption so i would say go and listen to that and listen to that and to keep updated on any developments with um, any of the men's groups that I'm putting together, any of the programs I'm putting together, where I'm at, any workshops, where I'm going to be at for talks and stuff. So I would say, yeah, definitely just check out the podcast. That's where all the hub of information is going to be. And um, yeah, start there. That's brilliant. So thanks once again, Alex. Um, I'll let you get off. Uh, thanks to everybody for listening as well. And we'll see you in the next episode. Thank you. Thank you.